The passage that we're looking at this morning is what was read earlier from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And in these verses, I'll just read them now. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, these words in Matthew's Gospel were inspired by God's Holy Spirit and as they were recorded um, from the t- teaching of Jesus in which we, call, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And today, these four verses are the section that I want to focus on. There are two illustrations here. They're very sort of normal, everyday pictures. A lamp and salt. But these two images, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, they give us a picture of how God is at work in his people and through his people, through us. At the very beginning of chapter 5, the scriptures say, when, yeah, when Jesus uh, went up the mountain and had sat down, his disciples came to him. There were lots of people there that day, crowds of people. People were following him wherever he went. But also it records in the Gospels that at a particular time, the challenge of Jesus' teaching and his call to discipleship uh, was too much for some. And they, they gave up, in a sense. It says they said, this is a hard saying. The things that Jesus was saying were challenging. Well, in these verses, it, it's... The words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. So the first question, I guess, to be clear about is whether we want to be disciples of Jesus. Of course, God is at work in the world. He's working in people's hearts. We trust today, even as we read his word and hear it day by day, that we will be being transformed. But that's, well, the, the prerequisite, I guess, is that, that we want to be followers of Jesus. Is it our desire that we would grow to be more like him? It's in John's Gospel that it's recorded that at a particular time in uh, the ministry of Jesus, and John records that when many of his uh, disciples had heard Jesus' teaching, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
There's no doubt that throughout history there have been others who've uh, responded in that way. uh, The parable of the sower tells us when Jesus spoke about the, the seed of the word being scattered and the different responses. Well, many turned back. And when Jesus asked his disciples in John's Gospel, again, chapter 6, that passage, he said, do you want to go away as well? And Peter's reply, of course, was, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Today, we've read these verses As I said earlier, the two illustrations which focus on the way that God works in the hearts of his people and through them. Neither salt nor light make a big noise. I haven't, I guess my chemistry is a bit, I don't know much chemistry anymore, but um, I guess there are salts maybe that, well, someone can tell me later. But salt and light, they're not noisy. But both salt and light make a big difference wherever they are. Sometimes in a quiet and almost imperceptible way. Or can be a bit more, a stronger input. But I want us to think about these just these two sentences. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt, I guess many of us have known in the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire, salt was a very valuable thing. It was a requirement really for many aspects of everyday life. It was used as a preservative, as it has been throughout history. And it was, again, uh, such a necessary thing, a valuable thing, that, that it was used as a currency. The word celery, uh, not, not the green stuff, but the, the celery that people earn comes from this uh, word, salt. Well, salt was valuable because it, it had um, good uses. It preserves, it enhances flavour, and it is necessary uh, when used properly. It's, it's good for our health. So, so many things could be said about this, but Jesus is saying here, To his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. What does it mean? If we, God's people, are truly the salt of the earth, well, we just have to think about salt. There's there's always something you can think of when you think of salt. In our lives, if people, if we are the salt of the earth, are there things that, that people will recognise and say, ah, that's salt, I recognise that. 
It's Paul the Apostle in Colossians chapter 4. He says these words using this salt as an illustration. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. The ways that we communicate with people, I guess, yeah, there's like everything, many things in life, there's the spectrum. You know, there's there's the very bland way of doing things. You know, not not uh, not really saying anything clear. Or there's the the very strong, sharp way of doing things. Salt. Uh, well, if there's no salt at all, then there's, it's pretty bland, it's boring. It doesn't really achieve anything. If it's really salty, often uh, it'll cause a reaction which uh, defeats the purpose. But with the right use of salt, it, uh, it does what it's supposed to do, it it enhances flavour. It it uh, balances the needs of our body. That's in the same passage here. As we go on, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Taste, yeah, that's a big part of the uh, the way salt is. But what's the connection between the taste and the benefit? Can you get benefit from salt even if you can't taste it? Or is salt necessarily uh, tasty? Well, I, I think it has to be that salt has to be tasty because everything's got a taste. And if salt has lost its taste, it's actually ceased to be what it purports to be you know it's the taste is is its identity if the taste has changed and i haven't uh, looked into the chemistry of this but it's quite likely that something has changed in the chemistry of that substance jesus question is if salt has lost its flavor how can it be made salty again. How can you replace something that is gone? Well, there may be a process that can be followed, but basically it would involve remaking the salt. And this illustrates perhaps the challenge that faces Christians. Does our presence in the world, in our communities make a difference in the lives of other people around us? What's the flavour that people taste as we share time, as we meet people and talk to them? I might have mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm not sure, Paul writes about an aroma in Second Corinthians. And I just, yeah, just referring to that, Paul says... We are the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, 
We are a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. The way that we live, which is, yeah, just the work of God in our lives, that is what, well, Paul uses the illustration of an aroma, a fragrance, which is either a beautiful, uh, nourishing flavour or a flavour of death and decay. The message, the image is different, but the message is the same. We recognise the difference between a good and a bad smell. And people recognise that. Are there things in our lives that really give that refreshing and attractive experience? The Bible tells us, again, it's in the Gospels of speaking about in the early church, after the ascension of Jesus, people noticed the Christians and it says they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Maybe it's a little bit like, you know, the, it happens, I, I, I've experienced it. You, if you're in a particular environment where there are quite a few people using perfume, um, when you, even when you go away, some of that perfume has uh, managed to seep into the clothes you're wearing. Isn't that what we desire in the truth of God and his work in our lives? Well, Jesus says, yeah, it's no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If it were possible to make salt without taste, it wouldn't be salt. It would be more like sand. And so putting it on the roads would be the thing to do. And actually that's something that's used to this day, isn't it? There's salt. It's put on roads um, in icy countries. But it's interesting because... Sodium chloride, um, yeah, I, I, looked at, I looked at as much as I needed to look at of, uh, about chemistry. But the salt in this area uh, at that time came from mines around the Dead Sea. And the material extracted from that area has the same properties even at this day. But the salt used was impure. It was often mingled with vegetable and earthy substances. And a considerable matter of earthy things remained. And so there was salt that was not worth its salt, I guess you could say. It was used to be put on paths and walks and, and just used effectively as gravel. Jesus is saying, if the salt's not salty, that's all it's worth. This is a good reason to just reflect on our lives. Someone somewhere asked a question like this. If being a Christian was made illegal, as it is in some parts of the world, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
If we use the chemical illustration, we'd say if our hearts were to be subject to sort of a diagnostic test, would there be evidence of the qualities of godliness and grace, love, truth, well, the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Jesus is giving a challenge and a warning. Are we seeking to be more like Jesus? Are we seeking to follow him? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And again, if we look at John's gospel in, around, in chapter 6, it says that when Jesus uh, had been teaching his disciples, there were some who'd been lit- hearing and they said, uh, yeah, there were people who were saying, this is a hard saying. It was hard to accept the things that Jesus was teaching and, and, and John's gospel records that at that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with saltiness. In verse 14 to 16, there's the other phrase, you are the light of the world. Light, we're all familiar with light. Light is one of the many things, again, that really scientists can't explain. There's all sorts of uh, theories in science, uh, Again, vaguely remembering my school days, the models that people use to describe what light is. You know, there's a particle model and a wave model. I know that much from those years. But what is light? The one thing we know is that, yeah, it's necessary for life. So when Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, are read where he says you are the light of the world it's saying well if you're not here uh, things will be pretty dark and well elsewhere in the bible there's that truth about darkness and light men loved evil because their men loved the darkness because their deeds were evil And that's the association. When we walk in the light, we walk in the ways of truth. It's obvious that Jesus wasn't speaking just physically about light. John, the apostle, at the beginning of the gospel, chapter 1, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in the same passage, John wrote, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John's gospel is is full of the teaching of Jesus about light. We know those words that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He also said, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. 
The Bible clearly tells us that Christians, we are children of the light and we're called to walk and and live our lives in a way which shows the light of God's truth. Well, the other statement that Jesus says here, just briefly, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden easily. It is much harder to exclude light than to exclude darkness. Many years ago, again, it's, uh, yeah, I, during my um, teenage years, processing film in a dark room, and it was essential that it was completely dark when you remove the film from the camera and put it in the developing tank. And it tells us something about the way we should be as Christians. We're called to live as children of the light. God has made the world in such a way, I mean, he could have done it differently, I'm sure. He made it so that the light defeats the darkness. If the two are together, the light will win. Darkness is just the absence of light. And when light comes, everything is different. So God, Jesus' words here, people don't put a lamp, do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all the house. When people have light, they usually don't want to extinguish it. The only times when people really want things to be darker, apart from, well, usually, yeah, because they don't want something to be seen. But it often can happen, but not deliberately, perhaps, but carelessly. Things can make the light decrease. I'm thinking about the way that windows um, don't know when it happens, but one day you look at the window and you realise, yeah, it's not such a clear view out there. Of course, it depends on the environment, but the glass gets a bit hard to see through. And it's not just windows and stuff like that, but there are things that can uh, cast a shadow or which can, because of the uh, coating of whatever it is, and that's an interesting thing, there can be so many things that can accumulate in our thinking, in our behaviour, that the, the important truth is sort of blocked out. It may be that our light can become dim because of guilt. In, instinctively, our sinful nature wants to cover things up that are embarrassing or things where we feel guilty. In one way, it doesn't really make sense, but when we have a guilty conscience, it's an almost overpowering compulsion to hide the truth. Even though 
if we think logically about it, it's much better to actually open it up and, and make clear what's happened and, and try and solve the problem. Often it's just fear. It may be laziness. Yeah, we don't want to put our light. We don't want to block out the light. I mean, Jesus says instead, we need to be light. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Everything becomes manifest when there. It becomes clear. That's obviously the reason why, apart from some necessary work, people work during the day and rest at night. All through history, that's been the way. But now we do have the technology to put lights everywhere. So if we wanted to, we could have 24 hours of light, although maybe that's not realistic. But we are called as Christians to be light. And, of course, we sleep, but we're called to be light wherever we are. Why would people want darkness? The main reason is, even though they know, really, darkness is a, is a fearful thing. But, as the Bible says, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But... Whoever does what is true comes to the light. He be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Really, this is the key. Light and darkness are opposites. There's no, well, I guess you could say there's a, there's a twilight, but ultimately there's either light or darkness. They're, they're opposites, and we're either tending to one or the other. How do we share the light if we are walking in the light? Well, it's simple. We just keep walking in the light. It's when we neglect or we get sidetracked and when we get tripped up, when we don't shine, then the darkness prevails. Sometimes it can be because of neglect. As I mentioned earlier, things tend to uh, fade because of the light can fade before we notice. But we're encouraged. The darkness is often there. It's, it's associated with the way we think and behave. It's connected with sin. Those words here... Yeah, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like cleaning away the, the darkness. These words of Jesus, just a, an encouragement in these verses let your light shine in the same way before others so that you may see your good works so that they may see your good works and give glory 
to your Father who is in heaven. It's just, yeah, let us pray we would be able to walk in the light of God's truth and his goodness and his holiness. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are our creator, the creator of all things. And we see in our world just the wonder of how you have made everything and you've created us. We thank you that you've made us in your image and we know the truth from your word that sin has damaged your original perfect creation. But we thank you that in sending Jesus, the light of the world, you have opened up a way that we can know the truth and know the light of your glory. We pray that enable us to walk in the light and that we would be able to share the truth of your word, which brings light into the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' name.